APTA is providing regular updates and guidance on COVID-19. On May 1st, we recorded a video dialogue with APTA staff, Justin Elliott and Kara Gaynor, where they gave an update on APTA advocacy and regulatory efforts. Here's that discussion. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us for this special uh, podcast. Hi, I'm Justin Elliott, Vice President of Government Affairs at the American Physical Therapy Association. And I'm Kara Gaynor, APTA's Director of Regulatory Affairs. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about all the activity that's been happening over the last several weeks on Capitol Hill and with CMS. There's been a lot of changes, both legislation as well as new regulations, and of course, breaking news last night on a new rule that impacts uh, telehealth. But first, we want to start off by saying thank you to you, uh, to the members who are out there on the front lines during this incredibly difficult time. We know this is a stressful time and there's a lot of challenges and anxiety. And please know that APTA is doing all that we can to provide up-to-date information and resources to assist you. So first, let's talk a little bit about the big news of the day, um, and that is with telehealth. So let's uh, first uh, take a step back and look at the big picture, what's been going on uh, with telehealth since the pandemic began back in early March. Now, there was a lot of news uh, in the first couple weeks of March uh, as it relates to telehealth. You saw uh, the president uh, uh, issue a national de- uh, declaration of emergency, and then we saw what uh, activation of what are known as 1135 waivers. These are This is a mechanism under federal law that gives uh, the president the authority uh, to waive certain regulations and restrictions during a declared emergency. And so there was a lot of work in early March to waive a lot of the restrictions as it relates to telehealth. Unfortunately, those did not impact physical therapy, and that is because uh, under federal law, uh, currently physical therapists are not uh, legally authorized to be providing telehealth under Medicare, along with a number of other providers. And so what we saw early on in March really primarily impacted uh, and provided flexibility for physicians and nurses. Um, But uh, what happened at the end of March was Congress passed a bill called the CARES Act, and one of the things that uh, legislation did was provide additional legal authority to HHS to waive additional uh, federal laws, specifically to include additional providers for telehealth. And we have been waiting very eagerly for HHS to make the announcement that they are going to expand uh, the ability of other providers, new providers, uh, to provide telehealth services uh, for Medicare beneficiaries. And last night, uh, or yesterday afternoon, we had some big news uh, from CMS. Kara, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what we heard last, yesterday from CMS on this? Sure, thanks, Justin. Uh, so as many of you probably saw, CMS released a lot of new guidance um, to provide healthcare providers with regulatory relief and flexibility. And within that guidance, CMS did state that they are waiving the requirements of the Social Security Act Section 1834 and the corresponding regulation which specifies the type of practitioners that may bill for their services when furnished as Medicare telehealth services. And so the waiver of these requirements expands the types of healthcare professionals that can furnish distant site telehealth services to include all those that are eligible to bill Medicare for their professional services. So this waiver allows healthcare professionals who were previously ineligible to furnish and bill for Medicare telehealth services, including physical therapists, to receive payment for Medicare telehealth services. Now, I will note that we 
uh, obviously are sure and positive that physical therapists in private practice are now among the healthcare professionals able to bill uh, for telehealth services. And this is retroactive to March 1st, 2020. However, I will note that we are seeking clarification from CMS regarding whether physical therapist assistance may furnish telehealth under the supervision of the physical therapist. And there have been a lot of questions regarding whether institutional settings, including hospital outpatient departments, are eligible to bill for telehealth services furnished by physical therapists. And we are also seeking clarification from CMS regarding that question. So please stay tuned. We hope to have additional guidance from CMS ideally before this weekend, uh, but it may not be until early next week. That said, CMS will have a national town hall on uh, Tuesday, May 5th. And so we do plan to, again, ask these questions if CMS does not address them uh, beforehand. So please stay tuned on that. It's a big win, but we recognize that additional advocacy may be needed depending on CMS's interpretation and guidance that they share. Um, and so we will continue to advocate uh, for the inclusion of all providers uh, to furnish telehealth under Medicare. But Justin, do you want to maybe talk a little bit about our long-term strategy to achieve um, a permanent fix to the Medicare telehealth problem? Yeah, and you know, first I want to say thank you to all the members out there who uh, throughout the last several weeks have been writing letters uh, to CMS and uh, doing a great uh, deal of work uh, in terms of regulatory uh, advocacy to really push uh, CMS. And also a uh, uh, huge shout out to uh, Congresswoman Cindy Axney of Iowa, along with uh, Congressman French Hill and Troy Balderson, uh, um, who uh, introduced legislation that basically would force uh, HHS uh, to make this change uh, and really help put pressure on, um, uh, on HHS to do so. Um, and also, uh, you know, you know, as Kara mentioned, this is the, the use of this waiver is only temporary. And so all of these waivers that the federal government has done um, over the last several weeks, um, they, those all go away when the national emergency is declared over. And so while we are thrilled with this race, uh, latest development, uh, we still need a long-term uh, policy solution. We need to have a change uh, in the federal statute to add physical therapists and physical therapist assistants as permanent authorized uh, providers of telehealth under Medicare. Now, the good news is that even prior to the start of this pandemic, uh, APTA, along with a number of other provider groups, uh, American Occupational Therapy Association, make, uh, American Speech Sharing Language Association, uh, we uh, were all supporting a bill called the Connect for Health Act. Uh, this is bipartisan legislation that was introduced uh, in Congress uh, that would provide a permanent policy fix. This would add physical therapists, occupational therapists, speech language, PTAs, OTAs, number of other providers as being authorized as uh, being able to provide telehealth under Medicare uh, to Medicare beneficiaries. And so we are continuing to look or and advocate for a long-term policy solution. We are asking Congress uh, to include and to pass the Connect for Health Act. And we hope and are, 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 are that we will have an opportunity to see that become a reality. Uh, as Congress begins work on its next COVID relief package, uh, this uh, is a one of our major priorities and recommendations that we are asking that Congress include in that package. And that is simply just add the Connect for Health Act into the COVID Phase 4 package, 
we need a permanent policy solution because we don't know where we're going to be three months from now, six months from now, a year from now. And right now, Medicare beneficiaries, what they want is some stability and being able to access uh, the, the care that they need. And so that's why we need to make sure that this uh, policy is, is made permanent. Uh, and Griffin, I would just also add, um, as a reminder, uh, regardless of payer policy, remember that you need to check your state practice act to see if telehealth is within your scope of practice. And also, if you are practicing across state lines, you need to be licensed where the patient is located. Uh, so just remember that, um, obviously, payer policy is one element as to whether telehealth is going to be covered, but you also want to make sure that you're complying with all um, applicable state and any other federal laws that may apply, including uh, licensure and scope of practice. And then I will also add that uh, Medicare added 15 CPT codes to the list of services that can be furnished uh, via telehealth. And so we did include that in a news story that we published yesterday. Um, and so please do check that out if you haven't seen it already. It does give guidance on how to bill under Medicare for telehealth, the codes eligible, uh, the modifiers required um, in the place of service code, and then also outlines the technology requirements, documentation, and so forth. So, you know, um, you know, switching gears a little bit, um, today's May 1st, and today is the start of a, a policy that was included in the CARES Act, which was, again, was passed and signed into law at the end of March. Um, what will happen today for those folks who bill Medicare is they should start seeing a bump in payment. Um, one of the things that the CARES Act did was it basically suspended a policy known as Medicare sequestration. Medicare sequestration is something that went into effect back in 2013. Uh, it was a policy designed to try to get control of deficit spending. And ever since 2013, uh, we have seen in Medicare payments uh, a 2% cut um, off the t uh, in, in, from, in terms of payment across uh, Medicare. One of the things that uh, Congress did is uh, to suspend that 2% cut through the end of the year. So, and that takes effect today, uh, Friday, May 1st, and will run through the end of the year. So folks should start beginning to see a small increase, 2%, uh, in their Medicare uh, payments. But one of the things, Kara, uh, I wanted to ask you is that how will this impact Medicare Advantage plans? Because Medicare Advantage plans have a little bit more flexibility and ability to set their own rules. And so have you heard anything uh, about how you anticipate with Medicare Advantage? Yeah, thanks, Justin. So this is a question that we looked into recently. And um, after uh, the sequestration was implemented, CMS did issue um, guidance that the 2% sequestration reduction does apply to Medicare Advantage payments uh, beginning back in 2013. And this guidance document that CMS issued also discussed whether uh, sequestration and how uh, sequestration might affect a Medicare Advantage organization's payments to its contracted providers. Um, and CMS noted that um, these payments are governed by the terms of the contract between the Medicare Advantage organization and the provider. So it, it depends on the contract that the provider has with the Medicare Advantage organization as to whether this sequestration elimination for the remainder of the year will or will not apply um, to the contract that the provider has with that specific MA plan. So you could look for uh, language in your contract, for example, that might say something like, in the event that CMS changes its compensation to the plan as a result of an act of Congress or a CMS directive, 
um, the amount payable to the provider will automatically be adjusted uh, in the amount specified by CMS or something like that. Um, so we would encourage all providers to review their contracts uh, with MA plans closely to see if the MA plan um, may be required to actually uh, remove sequestration as well or not. Yeah. Well, you know, and another way that uh, healthcare providers are seeing a boost uh, and assistance uh, as a result of the CARES Act uh, was a fund that was set up and uh, that called the Public Health Service Emergency Fund. Uh, this was $100 billion uh, that Congress set aside uh, to go towards Medicare-enrolled uh, providers. And what we saw on uh, April 10th, that a number of health care providers, again, who were Medicare-enrolled uh, up to, I believe, last year was the cutoff, um, saw direct deposits go into their accounts. Uh, and that money, amount of money was based uh, on their Medicare billing in 2019. Um, and we know that Medicare is getting, or HHS is getting ready uh, to uh, begin their next round uh, of distributions. Um, and so we, it's been a great assistance, and we're happy to see that assistance. But Kara, what are some of the questions that you've seen or what have you heard in terms of uh, HHS, um, in terms of what it means to be, uh, to be uh, eligible for it and what that money can be used for and cannot be used for? Sure. So first, I'll start off with a simpler question that we've been getting uh, because there are some providers who, who don't need the funds or they've actually closed and need to return the funds. And so the guidance we've been sharing in relation to that question is how to return the funds is that you need to actually go to the CARES Act Provider Relief Fund Payment Attestation Portal and you must complete the attestation to indicate that you're rejecting the funds and that payment portal will guide you through the attestation process to either accept or reject the funds. So um, that's in terms of rejection. That is the same portal that you would use to accept the funds. And we've been sharing guidance that we, you know, we encourage everyone to closely read the accompanying terms and conditions associated with accepting this funding. Uh, there continues to be some questions related to the terms and conditions. And so we have reached out to HHS as have other stakeholders to try to get additional clarification. And they do continue to update their guidance. Um, a common question um, or a common point of clarification that I would like to note here today is that um, you kind of have to think about um, the, so Justin mentioned the fund that started being distributed on April 10th. And so that, um, beginning on April 10th and then subsequently for the couple of weeks thereafter, the initial $30 billion of the fund was essentially deposited directly into Medicare providers' accounts. And now we have the $20 billion fund that is um, under the umbrella of a total $50 billion general distribution. And so it's actually for this $20 billion fund that you need to actually apply for. And um, you have to enter a lot of information related to your revenues and costs and HHS will review that information then allocate based on your 2018 net patient revenue um, an amount and the 20 billion dollars this second round of funding should be based more um, or it is trying to design it's designed to try to help those Medicare providers who may not have a lot of Medicare patients in general and um, in the first round of funding didn't get a lot, um, but in the second round, hopefully they, if they have, let's say, more commercial or Medicare Advantage or Medicaid, 
this second round of funding theoretically should help to supplement what might have been a lower than anticipated amount in the first round due to a low um, Medicare patient population. Um, but so for this second round, you do have to go in and apply. And again, you do want to read those terms and conditions. Um, and if you have questions, for example, if you did receive money in the first round, or um, then you should be eligible to apply for the second round of $20 billion. If you did not receive funding in the first round, but you are a Medicare provider and received reimbursement between October to December of 2019, uh, I would suggest calling United Health Group, which HHS has contracted with to run the program. And uh, their number, we can include the number in the chat uh, or in the comment section, but UHG, United Health Group, can be reached at 866-569-3522. And if they're not able to help, um, we would suggest you email CMS, even though CMS is not administering it. Um, it is an email address that CMS has said they will forward the emails on to the appropriate staff. And that CMS email address is COVID-19 at cms.hhs.gov. And then finally, you may wish to consider reaching out to your members of Congress uh, to bring this to their attention and see if they are able to reach out to HHS on your behalf. Um, so those are a few ways, uh, if you should have received funding in the first round and didn't, uh, those are kind of our steps that we would suggest you take. Um, so I think I've tried to cover <laughs> what <laughs> No, and you know, it brings up another good point because along with this uh, fund that Congress set up, they also set up another program uh, called the Paycheck Protection Program. Uh, and this was um, a couple hundred million dollars uh, that they set aside in the CARES Act that was passed back in March. They went back, uh, golly, a week ago and put in additional money for it. And it the the program rolled out at towards the end of March. It had a couple hiccups, uh, a couple uh, bumps in the road in terms of its rollout. Um, there was also, it's been in the news because uh, so there are some companies that accepted money that uh, probably shouldn't have. Uh, but for those who aren't aware of it, it is a program that is being administered by the Small Business Administration that will give uh, loans uh, with an interest rate of about 1%. They are capped at 4%, uh, but most of them are at 1%. It's only for companies with 500 or less um, employees. And this money that it can be utilized by small businesses uh, to help with costs you know, that have been impacted as, relate, uh, as, as related to uh, the current pandemic. And so it can be used to pay for uh, medical leave, family leave, uh, payment on interest for mortgage obligations for your business, as well as rent uh, and utilities. And so uh, I know APTA, we have a, a good deal of information uh, on, on, on our website about this program. If you haven't checked out the program, do go to the Small Business Administration, sba.gov, to learn more about it. Be sure to review the FAQ document they have that are specific um, to uh, that, some of the information you're going to need to know to uh, to apply for this loan with one of the with the banks. And so uh, we've heard some a number of our members have uh, applied for this. Uh, I know we are waiting for even more members uh, to find out if they're going to receive this. But Kara, I don't know if you have anything to add on that or any uh, anything you've heard lately from members on this program. Uh, no, I haven't. Um, I did actually hear from someone who had gotten the loan, so that was positive. Um, but yeah, no, I don't have anything to add. It's been pretty quiet on the questions front. Yeah. 
Um, you know, switching gears, you know, we, uh, another good piece of news in that uh, that impacts PTAs um, and one that we've been waiting for for a long time, and that is the addition of both physical therapist assistance and occupational therapy assistance to the TRICARE program. Um, and this was um, a result of legislation that APTA and our friends at AOTA championed a couple years ago uh, to force uh, the Department of Defense to add PTAs and OTAs through legislation. Um, and once the bill got passed, we had to wait as DOD had to go through a, a, their regulatory process. But now it's official. And Kara, tell us a little bit about uh, the, the regs and some of the information that we've received uh, just in the last couple of weeks on this. Yeah, thanks. So uh, the, the regulations went into effect on April 16th, 2020. And so for dates of service beginning then and forward, um, services uh, furnished by PTAs and OTAs are reimbursable under TRICARE. And shortly after the regulations went into effect, um, the Defense Health Agency updated the TRICARE policy manual and um, indicated they outlined the scope of practice and qualification and supervision requirements <coughs> for PTAs in um, TRICARE policy manual chapter 11, section 3.16. And um, it matches Medicare as they indicated that it would in the final rule, but they also said that they would require the CQ modifier uh, to denote when services are furnished in whole or in part by the PTA. And then for the OTA, it is the CO modifier um, so we do have that guidance in the TRICARE policy manual that's been published. And so now, um, yes, claims can be submitted and they should be processed normally um, as TRICARE had known that they would be requiring the CQ and CO modifiers. So the contractor should be prepared to process these claims correctly. Um, but then we are now waiting on the TRICARE contractors, Humana Military and HealthNet Federal Services for the contractors for the East and West region, respectively, um, to uh, update their policy manuals or their provider handbook to formally recognize PTAs and OTAs as TRICARE authorized providers. And so um, that is the final step to this um, process. And as Justin mentioned, it's been a long, drawn-out process. Um, but the good thing is claims can be submitted. If claims are denied, uh, because the CQ or CO modifier is appended to the claim. Um, Defense Health Agency has told us to tell providers that uh, you should resubmit the claim um, because they should be processing normally. Uh, so just stay tuned for, if you are a TRICARE provider, just stay tuned for any additional updates from your TRICARE contractor. Um, and then we had published a, an article outlining the TRICARE policy manual and hyperlink to it. Um, and we can put that link to the news story in the comments as well. So um, just, uh, yeah, so so big news, great news. Um, we were thrilled, especially such a strange time to release the rule um, <laughs> in the public health emergency, but they did, and it's now in effect. Yeah, and again, thanks to all of our members, PTs and PTAs, who were uh, advocate, advocating on this, both when the legislation was going through Congress, but also throughout the regulatory process, and, you know, really appreciate um, uh, the work of the PTA caucus on this and their support and advocacy work. And, uh, you know, really glad to see that this is finally implemented because I know folks were, were, were eager to see this. You know, we do have a question about uh, on the Paycheck Protection Program. You know, is, is there a mandatory timeline for furloughed employees to return to employment 
if a company uh, receive a, receives a paycheck protection uh, loan? That's a great question. Um, that's something we can look at. I'm not sure if that is set out in the statute, <clears throat> but we can certainly uh, take a look at it. I think you know one thing to also highlight is that there is another uh, uh, loan program called the uh, Emergency Economic Injury <clears throat> Disaster Loans, also through SBA. That is also eligible uh, for uh, small businesses. I will also uh, ju- mess, uh, I will also mention Justin, um, and we'll put the links in the comments. But uh, we'll, we'll include the links to the FAQs and um, information for borrowers. But also, questions on the Paycheck Protection Program loans can be directed to the Lender Relations Specialist in the local Small Business Administration field office, and so we'll include the link to that as well. But in the interim, we'll also go back and look to see if we can find an answer to that question. Yeah, it's a great question. Great question. Um, you know, I did want to also point out <clears throat> for those uh, students and young professionals, uh, the CARES Act, and anyone who has a student loan, uh, the CARES Act uh, did provide some funding uh, aimed at st- uh, student loans uh, as well as higher education. In particular, um, one thing it did is that it defers <clears throat> student loan payments, principal and interest for six months through September 30th of 2020. Uh, in addition, it provides uh, $14.25 billion to colleges and university, and of that, 6.28 will go towards assistance that uh, is money that uh, universities and colleges can utilize to assist uh, students, and that will be for expenses related to disruptions in their education due to the COVID outbreak, uh, and can be used for things like course materials, technology, food, housing, healthcare, and childcare. Now, the Department of Education has already begun. Uh, distributing uh, this uh, $14.25 billion. That is going directly from Department of Education to colleges and universities. Each college and and university is going to get a different amount based on this formula uh, that the Department of Education has put together. But if you have a federal student loan, and it should be noted uh, that the the loan relief uh, that is uh, through September 30th, it's only for federal loans. It does not apply to uh, private loans. Uh, um, and in addition, uh, uh, there is a new tax credit or tax credit that folks should be aware of uh, for employers who want to help out employees who have student loans. Um, this uh, credit <clears throat> enables providers uh, to make a payment benefit uh, on a tax-free basis. And so under the provision, uh, an employer can contribute up to 5000 $250 annually uh, towards an employee's uh, student loans, and that will be excluded from the employee's income for uh, for tax purposes. And so that uh, applies to any student loan payments made, made by an employer uh, after the date of enactment of the law, which is March 27th, uh, and through January 1st, 2021. So we have this uh, window of, of uh, opportunity between March and 2021 for this tax credit that employers can use to provide assistance to their employees who have uh, federally, uh, federal student loans. So be sure to check that out and talk to your employer about that to see if they may be uh, interested in, on that as well. You know, Kara, I wanted to go back to, to telehealth because that's been such a big issue um, that not only APTA has been working on, but our state chapters uh, and our sections. And what has been interesting to watch uh, is, uh, you know, we're thrilled with the announcement yesterday Uh, by Medicare, Um, but it's been interesting to watch at the state level a lot of state payers who have been way ahead out and way out in front of this, as well as state Medicaid programs, um, which have been uh, aggressive uh, in expanding 
their benefits uh, to therapy services. And so would you see if you had any thoughts or any reflections or, uh, about what you've seen uh, from the private payer or Medicaid side on, as it relates to telehealth? Yeah, so you're right. Oh, it sounds like an echo. Um, oh, do you hear the echo? I don't hear an echo. <laughs> okay, weird. Uh, yeah, so we've definitely seen states lead in this area um, and commercial payers have taken the lead as have governors. Uh, and so we've seen a lot of state level actions related to um, either non-federal payer coverage of telehealth, um, meaning primarily Medicaid, but also commercial payers. And, you know, I think that where we're headed next, I certainly think that this public health emergency has changed the dynamic and scope of telehealth, um, and it likely will be changed forever. But I think that in terms of immediate next steps, I just wanted to take the opportunity to say that, you know, a lot of the actions taken by um, states or commercial payers have a time limit. And a lot of those time limits or um, deadlines for this new, these new telehealth coverage policies are coming up quickly. And so we will have available on our website um, templates for you to use, as well as for your patients to use to advocate for uh, continued telehealth coverage with the payers. Um, because obviously, um, the public health emergency is anywhere from over, and we need to ensure that patients continue to have access uh, to physical therapist services. And so we, we actually update on a weekly basis every Thursday, we update our telehealth webpage uh, on abta.org slash telehealth, and we list out the commercial payer telehealth coverage policies, the um, non-federal payer coverage policies, state actions permitting PTs and PTAs to provide telehealth. Um, if you recall earlier, I talked about your, you need to make sure that telehealth is within your state practice act and we have seen a lot of flexibility issued by the states to allow um, PETs and in some instances PTAs as well to furnish telehealth within their state. So uh, do check those resources out because uh, we do continue to update them. And obviously we also have a federal payer telehealth coverage chart. And until yesterday um, indicated that Medicare was not covering telehealth when furnished by PTs, but obviously we will update that. I do also want to note that we list TRICARE uh, and the two contractors on that site um, or on our chart of uh, payers who are covering telehealth. And we are aware that Humana Military covers telehealth um, treatment, but does not cover an initial evaluation done by a PT or OT. And so recently, APTA sent a letter to Humana uh, as asking them to lift this restriction and allow telehealth coverage uh, for initial evaluations. And so we're hopeful that with the latest move by Medicare to recognize physical therapists as authorized telehealth providers, uh, which as you, as I'm sure you saw, Medicare is covering initial evaluations done by physical therapists. Hopefully that in combination with the requests that we've been submitting over the last six, eight weeks, um, we'll push it across the finish line and not only will Humana Military cover initial eval via telehealth, but hopefully also Humana um, will change their policies as well. Yeah. 
No, it's been interesting to watch telehealth. I think we, ever since this pandemic started back uh, in early March, uh, just the work that state Medicaid, private insurance, and, and Medicare has done has really quickly evolutionized uh, and revolutionized, I should say, um, uh, telehealth. We are seeing things happening today that we didn't think was going to happen for another five to seven years, uh, particularly under Medicare. And so it's been interesting to watch uh, the quick evolution of uh, use uh, of telehealth uh, by providers, not just physical therapists, but other providers. And what will be interesting to see is what happens when this is all over. Um, and, you know, uh, whether it's three years or three months from now, six months from now, a year from now, how are we, you know, making sure that we keep some of these advances that we have made uh, in Medicare and payer policy, again, which is one of the reasons we ought to make sure we have a permanent federal fix uh, by ensuring that Congress um, enacts the Connect for Health Act as part of the COVID uh, phase four. Another thing I think that this uh, situation has really shined a spotlight on and, and the importance of uh, is the PT compact uh, that allows for interstate practice. For those who are not familiar with it, this is a mechanism uh, that allows for interstate practice uh, for both PTs and PTAs. Um, if, you, if you haven't checked it out, go to ptcompact.com, um, and they will it has a map and information about the compact. Um, it requires a state a legislature to pass what's known as the PT Compact legislation, and we've had a number of states uh, successfully pass PT Compact legislation uh, since we started on this endeavor with the Federation of State Boards of Physical Therapy uh, back in, in 2016. So it has really been uh, interesting to watch the the how important the compact has been um, uh, during this situation. I uh, want to also mention that if you do have questions, please be sure to uh, type them in uh, the chat box. And if you if we miss your question, um, or if you have something that is a little bit more in-depth, uh, you can always email it to advocacy uh, at APTA.org. Uh, and, you know, uh, oh, and I'll just, um, I also wanted to just add uh, that... Going back to what I said about the commercial payers and the payer templates that we'll be making available, we obviously are asking them to extend telehealth coverage for as long as COVID-19 is putting, um, is, is a public health emergency. But also, we are obviously also advocating that these commercial payers make these policies permanent. Um, and actually, to that point, we had sent a letter back in March to the National Association of Insurance Commissioners asking that they encourage uh, the, their members, the insurance commissioners, to require the plans regulated in each state to cover uh, telehealth furnished by physical therapists and physical therapist assistants. And because we had submitted that request, uh, they did recently invite us to attend a recent meeting, uh, virtually, obviously, of course, over the phone. And, uh, you know, we, we took that opportunity to point out that um, many payers, including commercial payers, are covering telehealth, um, but that additional work on their part is necessary in terms of ensuring that payers are covering telehealth furnished in institutional settings, including hospitals and skilled nursing facilities and home health agencies, um, since many insurers' policies only recognize um, therapist services uh, when delivered by private practitioners billing on the CMS 1500 claim form. So we did make that request. And as I was mentioning, the initial eval issue with Humana Military, we did also encourage uh, National Association of Insurance Commissioners to um, consider that commercial payer policy should also allow for reimbursement uh, for initial evals 
uh, done via telehealth when appropriate. And then just, of course, reiterating that um, physical therapy is and will continue to be a critical aspect of COVID-19 recovery. And of course, as I'm sure you all are familiar, the longer a patient remains in the ICU, the higher the risk for long-term physical and other complications, which is why it is so critical that PTs and PTAs and other rehab providers who are equipped in and experienced in providing the necessary interventions um, for physical and other impairments can actually provide uh, telehealth and those services can be reimbursed. So that gives you an, an idea of kind of the advocacy that's kind of going on behind the scenes, um, but that can have a significant impact um, given that we might make a recommendation to the National Association of Insurance Commissioners and then they distribute that recommendation um, to all of their members in each state. Um, so the advocacy is never ending, it's ongoing, and uh, we will continue to push for a permanent fix as Justin talked about, not only for Medicare, but across all payers. You know, I want to, there was a, uh, you know, this rule that came out uh, yesterday on telehealth from CMS in this interim rule. There were a couple other things in there that uh, were also good and that I think are of, of interest. Uh, one thing I want to touch on is the use of locum tenens uh, by a physical therapist. This was, uh, it's policy under Medicare that basically allows a physical therapist to bring in another physical therapist on a temporary basis, whether because they're sick or they need to take time off. Now, back uh, in 2016, uh, APTA advocated and was able to get a bill through Congress that allowed and that added PTs to be able to do locum tenens, just like physicians are able to do. PTs are now able to use locum tenens, but there was a restriction on it, which uh, limited it to uh, just uh, rural and underserved areas. There was also a time limit into how long you can utilize a locum tenens therapist um, and Kara, there was some uh, an interesting tidbit that was inc included in yesterday's rule as as it relates specifically uh, to locum tenens. Yeah, so um, CMS modified the 60-day limit for these locum tenens arrangements. Um, so basically, CMS said that they're modifying the 60-day limit to allow a physician or physical therapist uh, who furnishes outpatient physical therapy services in a health professional shortage area, a medically underserved area, or rural area uh, to use the same substitute for the entire time he or she is unavailable to provide services during the COVID-19 emergency, plus an additional period of no more than 60 continuous days after the public health emergency expires. And then on the 61st day after the public health emergency ends or earlier, um, the regular physician or physical therapist can use a different substitute or return to work um, for at least one day in order to reset that 60-day clock. And CMS had said that without this flexibility, uh, the regular physical therapist generally could not use a single substitute uh, to cover sequential 60-day periods. So it is an additional flexibility that CMS recognized uh, was needed during this public health emergency. And so they did issue that additional um, guidance uh, just within the last week or so. Here we have a question uh, specific on Medicare billing and telehealth. And, you know, is there clear guidance on how to bill Medicare initial evals via telehealth? And, um, you know, uh, the, our member says that he's been billing the one per week telehealth visit, but they're paying very low. And assuming this means different billing procedures for Medicare? Yeah, so you know it's possible. Okay, so 
Medicare's policy in relation to covering the initial eval, um, you know, the the frequency the frequency of the initial eval obviously would be you could furnish the evaluation, you develop the plan of care and so forth, and it would be just as if you were doing it in person. Um, so you wouldn't be billing an initial eval every week. It would be the one to develop the plan of care and, and then you start initiating treatment. Perhaps you're referring to e-visits, um, which can only, which are based on the cumulative time spent during a seven day period. And e-visits are not telehealth services. They're really meant to be a mechanism to help um, stay in communication with your patient in between visits. For example, if the patient cannot be seen uh, for a couple of weeks, um, if the patient initiates a, um, an e-visit through an online patient portal, then you would be able to bill for the time spent communicating with that patient um, and bill it as an e-visit. So keep in mind that Medicare is now covering the CPT codes 97161 through 97163 um, just the same as they would have been if they were furnished in person. Um, so hopefully that helps to answer your question. Yeah. And then I will, um, I did see, are any states allowing home care telehealth for PT? I, I do know that Ohio now covers, um, Ohio Medicaid did recently change their policy and they are covering um, telehealth furnished by home health agencies. And that was something that uh, we worked on with the Ohio chapter to get changed. And lo and behold, um, they did. They, they expanded the telehealth coverage to include services furnished by home health agencies, which was huge. But I don't know off the top of my head any other states um, but do check out our charts that we link to on our apta.org slash telehealth page um, for updates on payer policies related to telehealth. So, you know, uh, you know switching gears, I, I want to just bring up the issue of the E&M codes, which, um, you know, prior to uh, the pandemic, this was one of our top priorities. And for those not familiar uh, with it, uh, uh, CMS came out last year in 2019 with the proposal uh, to basically revalue the E&M codes, the evaluation and management codes, which are used primarily by primary care physicians. The idea being is to give a boost uh, to payment for primary care physicians. Unfortunately, because the way of uh, what's known as budget neutrality, you can't provide an increase to some folks without making cuts elsewhere. And so as part of their proposal, CMS uh, uh, proposed for implementation on January 1st, 2021, cutting uh, 30 pay to 36 different provider groups, everyone from radiologists and pathologists and orthopedic surgeons, um, as well as a and it proposed 8% cut to, for PT uh, and OT. And so, um, you know, just thinking ahead to, we're going through this very difficult time right now. Uh, we know that there are facilities and clinics that have closed down or are operating at, at less capacity um, there's a lot of instability right now, both not only in the economy, but also within a healthcare system. And it is, you know, uh, kind of scary to think that January 1st, there is the potential um, that we could see a, a even more cuts uh, to the healthcare system. In this case, on January 1st, 36 different providers, including physical therapists, um, could see, you know, cuts to their Medicare payment. I do want to let folks to know that this continues to be um, a major push uh, for APTA. Um, working with our allies, working with the OTs and the speech uh, language and audiologists, dietitians, psychologists, uh, all of the different providers who are slated for cuts. 
And I think what's interesting is this has definitely uh, caught the attention of Congress and CMS that um, we don't know what kind of world we're going to be in in January 1st in terms of the economy and with healthcare. Um, and the message that putting implementing deep cuts uh, at a time when we're going to be and hopefully be recovering from this situation is just really bad policy. And so there is a proposal uh, that APTA, along with a number of provider groups, um, and which more recently the American Medical Association has come out in support of, and that is uh, we are pushing for language to be included in the next COVID relief package known as COVID Phase 4 um, that would basically provide what's known as waiving of budget neutrality. Uh, this would mean that Congress would need to put in additional money into the Medicare system and so that way, those increases for primary care physicians could continue. They could be implemented on January 1, but it would prevent the cuts to the 36 different provider groups. Now, waiving that budget neutrality, that means Congress needs to put money into the system. That's going to cost some money. Um, and so for, for a full repeal uh, of the cuts, we're looking at about $70 billion. Uh, and um, half of, you know, we're looking at if we were able just to suspend those cuts for five years, about $35 billion. Um, but um, we are making the case now that this is, um, you know, a bad, the policy is, again, we're not opposed to primary care physicians getting increases, but it shouldn't be done on the backs of providers like PTs who don't even bill E&M codes. And so if you have not we, seen it yet, we do have an action alert uh, on our uh, state, ad, uh, the federal advocacy page. We will be doing um, a big grassroots push next week asking folks to contact their member of Congress with, again, our, our partners in the coalition. So, again, we want Congress to include uh, this proposal to waive budget neutrality on the E&M codes because that will prevent cuts from going into effect to Medicare on January 1st, which is absolutely the worst thing that could happen for our patients um, that we serve. And so be on the lookout for that and just know that that is also an issue we are continuing to work on uh, to prevent that from happening on January 1st. And I'll also just add that uh, there will be an opportunity to submit comments on the calendar year 2021 physician fee schedule proposed rule uh, because CMS will be addressing this in some fashion in that rule. And that rule is expected to be released in early to mid-July. There will be a 60-day comment period, and we will have a letter-writing campaign for both providers and patients to send letters to CMS addressing and responding to what CMS had proposed. And I'll just do my typical plug that uh, comments really do matter. This is your opportunity to share with the agency who's required to read the comment letters, um, all of them. Um, they, It's your opportunity to share your personal thoughts and opinions as to how such a policy, whether it's an 8% cut or whatever it may be, will impact your ability to deliver care to Medicare beneficiaries and how that may harm, or if it was a positive proposal, how that may benefit. Um, and so this is, you know, an opportunity to, uh, and I say this for all rules because the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services and all the other federal agencies issued changes to regulations via notice and comment rulemaking and offer comment periods. And oftentimes it's primarily due to the volume of comments, either positive or negative, that influence the agency in decisions. Um, and oftentimes it, it is due to the individuals who have shared their perspective as to how this policy could play out if implemented in practice. 
So again, I, this is something I say all the time, like, please, please, please um, keep in mind and, and do not discount how important and how critical your voice is on this and many other policy issues. And we try to make it as easy as possible by providing a template letter with opportunity for you to personalize it. Um, but commenting is a great way to get on the record. You can even do it anonymously, but have your your concerns and your comments and feedback formally uh, recorded by the federal government. Yeah, and you know, the, the EM code is a, a major priority, but we are also advocating for a number of other uh, policy priorities for inclusion in the COVID phase uh, for a package, you know, along with uh, this weighting of budget neutrality on the E&M codes to prevent Medicare cuts, along with provide, uh, advocating for a permanent fix, uh, policy fix on telehealth. Um, we are also advocating on the issue of hazard pay, uh, asking the government to uh, provide assistance to those providers, those uh, including PTs and PTAs who are on the front lines uh, of this pandemic, uh, and also pushing the federal government to do more uh, as it relates to the distribution and production and distribution of PPP, uh, uh, personal protection equipment, PPE. Um, we need. We know that right now there are a number of providers who don't have access, and we need to see uh, a real focus on making sure uh, that production continues to ramp up and that the distribution is equitable and fair to uh, the providers on the front lines uh, to who are who are dealing with the, uh, with the pandemic. We're also continuing to push uh, for additional assistance uh, to healthcare providers, particularly. You know, while we were we were glad to see these new the new program, the Paycheck Protection Program, and additional money going towards the uh, economic emergency disaster loans through SBA, uh, we are we along with a number of, of healthcare provider uh, groups are pushing for uh, funding specifically for healthcare clinics, healthcare uh, small uh, providers, and so uh, there is a, a, a policy that we are recommending that would provide grants uh, to healthcare providers, as well as uh, super low interest loans, 0.25% loans uh, for healthcare, specifically for healthcare providers. Um, in addition, we know uh, that um, what we're seeing with folks who are recovering uh, from COVID, uh, they have a very long, in some cases, a very long uh, road to recovery um, with uh, muscle weakness and cardiovascular uh, uh, issues. And so they, we need to make sure that for a long-term policy, that these folks have access to the therapy services that they need. 29 million Americans get their uh, healthcare services at community health centers. And so we have a bill that was introduced prior to the pandemic uh, that would have added physical therapists as primary health services under community health centers. Specifically, it would allow PTs to provide services to Medicare and Medicaid beneficiaries and directly bill for those services. Right now, PTs cannot directly bill uh, for Medicare and Medicaid in community health centers. So we are also saying that in terms of a long-term policy solution, looking out one year, two years out from this pandemic, looking at the long road to recovery that so many folks are gonna have, they need to access therapy services. And one way uh, to address that is to ensure that PTs can do this uh, in community uh, uh, health centers. Uh, Justin, if you don't mind, uh, I do just wanna do a quick plug for ABTA Engage uh, because it's important uh, to know that ABTA nominates uh, members to serve on federal agency committees and task forces and technical expert panels. And we're always looking for experts to nominate to these panels uh, because we know how important it is to have a seat at the table and have the physical therapist voice represented. 
which often can only be done by a member of the association. Uh, so please, if you're ever interested in being nominated or being considered for nomination to any sort of um, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services or National Quality Forum or VA or um, many other uh, CDC, NIH, um, if you ever would be considered, would like to be considered for nomination to any of these panels that they, they convene, um, please do go to APTA Engage and check out the national opportunities. And for those that are uh, listed that you're interested in, um, please do submit your CV with a, you know, a sentence or two as to why you're interested in being considered for nomination because uh, these nominations come fast and furious throughout the year. And so we are always, always, always um, submitting a nomination for something. Uh, so please do check that out uh, because we would always like to have more expertise uh, to draw upon um, depending on the um, nomination opportunity. Great point. And uh, Carrie, you know, I have, we have one more telehealth question. I know we're coming close to the top of the hour. Uh, and it uh, deals with billing, particularly, uh, you know, uh, that the question is, it's their understanding that they cannot perform telehealth with Part B beneficiaries in skilled nursing settings um, or build telehealth on the UB uh, for uh, form. Uh, thoughts on that one? Yeah, so I'll say that, um, as I kind of said at the top of the um, discussion, we are seeing clarification from CMS regarding whether their um, expand, expanded flexibility to recognize uh, therapists as telehealth providers would expand would extend to therapists who work in institutional-based settings, including hospitals and skilled nursing facilities and home health agencies and rehab agencies even. And so we are waiting to hear back from CMS regarding that. I know that other um, associations have reached out to CMS as well. So um, unfortunately, CMS wasn't totally clear in the guidance that they issued yesterday. We are we do know definitively that PTs in private practice can build telehealth on the CMS 1500 claim form, but it's less clear in relation to institutional settings. And we have been advocating uh, both on the commercial payer side as well as with Medicare uh, that CMS or the, whatever the payer um, include telehealth coverage uh, for services furnished by therapists in institutional-based settings. And so um, we thought that CMS would definitively recognize institutional settings as um, eligible to furnish and bill for telehealth. It doesn't seem um, totally clear that they didn't or did. Um, so we are seeking guidance. So at this point in time, all I can say is we're seeking clarification um, as to whether telehealth furnished by therapists can be billed on the UBO4 claim form in the institutional setting. And I do know that there's been a lot of questions related to hospital outpatient departments. And again, the guidance that CMS issued was actually even less clear in relation to hospitals. So we have um, reached out to CMS already to ask that they clarify immediately um, the capability of therapists being able to furnish and having the hospitals bill for those services, uh, telehealth services via the UBO4. So, you know, just looking ahead, uh, it's May 1st, and what does the next couple months have in store uh, in terms of advocacy, both re regulatory uh, and on Capitol Hill? You know, we, we anticipate that Congress is going to come back in about two weeks to try to start ramping up their work again. Uh, first on their docket will be the COVID phase four relief package, uh, and we're watching very closely as to what that timeline could be. 
Will it be passed by Memorial Day or will it get pushed uh, into uh, early June? Um, so we're watching to see how that's how the politics of this is, are going to uh, uh, play out. But we are hopeful that Congress will act quickly uh, on that legislation and include a number of our policy priorities, including uh, the ENM code issue and a permanent fix uh, to, to, to telehealth. But Kara, we are about to begin the busy season in terms of regulatory rules and proposed rules. And so what are some of the rules that we anticipate coming out in the next couple of weeks? So um, as you may have already seen, we saw CMS release the fiscal year 2021 skilled nursing facility payment rule, as well as the fiscal year 2021 ERF payment rule. Um, neither rule has very many changes, uh, but we did uh, develop a template letter for individuals who would like to submit comments to CMS regarding the skilled nursing facility proposed rule, uh, given all of the concerns and feedback that we've been sharing with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services related to the patient-driven payment model. So as I was saying earlier, this is an opportunity to share feedback with the agency uh, using the template letter that we've provided, and we can link to the regulatory take action webpage in the comment chat uh, box uh, in a moment. But um, so we've seen those rules come out, and then we will be seeing the hospital, acute care hospital inpatient payment rule be released. Um, and then shortly thereafter, we'll see the DME uh, rule. We'll see the home health rule for 2021, uh, which may or may not include any sort of changes to the patient-driven groupings model likely not due to um, it was just implemented in January and um, they haven't been able to collect a lot of data yet and particularly the fact that the data being collected right now during COVID is going to skew you know the overall numbers given the changes uh, needed in relation to care delivery um, but then we also have the physician fee schedule proposal coming out in July so we'll probably see the home health rule physician fee schedule rule durable medical equipment and um, hospital outpatient prospective payment system rules all come out around um, early to mid-July. And all of these rules have 60-day comment periods, and we will uh, be submitting comments on all of them in uh, addition to providing template letters uh, for those rules that um, we would encourage individuals to submit comments on as well. Yeah. And from a congressional standpoint, once Congress gets, uh, hopefully to get to the COVID phase four package done, then they're going to hit summer recess um, and then the election. And so really this COVID phase four package is going to be probably the last major piece of legislation we see implemented by Congress uh, until after the November election, uh, because they will be going home for the summer break, um, the fall campaigns. Um, and so uh, after the election, they will need to come back and do uh, some last end of the year uh, budget issues a reauthorization of a number of programs that will be expiring. Um, and so uh, we anticipate uh, not a whole lot coming out of Congress after this COVID uh, phase four. But, you know, just a reminder to make sure that, you know, one way, a great way to advocate not only with writing to your member of Congress or participating in the ad uh, federal advocacy forums or uh, on social media is to get involved in, in a campaign and to uh, know who your member of Congress is because, uh, we have a lot of issues that uh, we are managing right now, and um, the, the election is, is obviously going to be one where the, these are the issues are going to be discussed. And so please be sure to uh, stay active. Kara, we have a lot of resources. As we begin to finish up, we have a lot of resources on our website that we are updating um, every day. So, for example, APTA.org forward slash telehealth, um, APTA.org forward slash coronavirus, and APTA.org 
uh, forward slash federal advocacy. Am I missing any? <laughs> uh, we included the link to the regulatory issues, take action. Um, that's where you can find the template letters to submit uh, comments on proposed rules and policies. Uh, what else? You should always, uh, oh, I should say, um, if you don't already receive APTA's news blast on Wednesday and Friday of every week, um, please go to your membership profile and opt in um, because that's a summary of all of the articles that we published, webinars um, over the last week or over the last couple of weeks. And I know that we've been putting out so much information. Um, it's a good way to catch up uh, if you've missed some of the daily articles being posted on social media or on the homepage. So uh, we do have those Wednesday and Friday news blasts. So otherwise, you can always check the apta.org homepage but um, it won't necessarily list out every single PT in motion news article or story that we might have published recently. And if you want to receive action alerts, what's going on in Capitol Hill and, and regulatory agencies, be sure to subscribe to APTA's P-Team newsletter. Uh, go to APTA.org forward slash P-Team and subscribe to that newsletter. And also, if you haven't done so, be sure to download the APTA Action app on your phone. It's available for Apple and uh, Android, and it's a great way to receive alerts you know, as Kara mentioned, we have a lot going on just in the next few months. We will be doing a major grassroots push next week on the E&M codes, but we have a lot of proposed rules that will be coming out, and we're going to continue to fight on issues like uh, telehealth, hazard pay, personal protection uh, equipment, and, and more. So we have a, a lot going on during some very um, interesting times and difficult times, and so um, really do appreciate everything that everyone is doing. I don't think we have any more questions. Let me see. I think we're about done with questions. I'll just reiterate again that um, we are seeking clarification related to telehealth um, in the hospital outpatient setting uh, because the interim final rule issued by CMS and the accompanying guidance um, has led to some confusion and it's unclear as to whether um, physical therapists and hospital outpatient departments would be able to furnish telehealth and have the hospital bill it on the UBO4. So uh, please stay tuned. As soon as we have additional information from CMS, we will be sharing that um, widely. All right. Well, I think we are at the top of the hour. And so, again, want to say thank you to everyone who took time out of their day to uh, watch this broadcast. And, again, uh, really appreciate the work uh, that everyone is doing uh, during these uh, difficult times. Um, I know that uh, this, these are stressful times. There's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, but again, you know, as Kara mentioned, we're, we, we're trying to put out a lot of information and, and resources uh, to help you and your patients uh, to get through this. And so want to say uh, thank you uh, for uh, doing what you do every day. Thank you for your advocacy. And most importantly, thank you for being members of APTA. Official guidance is changing rapidly as the COVID-19 pandemic continues to evolve. APTA has set up a webpage to keep you informed at www.apta.org coronavirus. Please visit regularly and stay safe. We're all in this together.